From the campus of the University of Kentucky, you're listening to Behind the Blue. We are pleased this week to be joined on the Behind the Blue podcast by Richard Dick Jeffries, longtime professor of anthropology here at the University of Kentucky, anthropology department, of course, within the College of Arts and Sciences. Dick, first of all, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Where did you grow up? Where were you educated? And how did you get interested in this field? Well, I grew up in Alexander, Virginia, and went to George Mason College for a couple of years, which was part of the University of Virginia, and I graduated from the University of Virginia. And then I went into the service, the Navy, for a couple of years, and went, came back and went to graduate school at the University of Georgia, where I got my master's and doctorate. What interested you in the field of anthropology? But before we get to that, <laughs> give me a layperson's definition of anthropology. Well, basically, anthropology is the study of human culture in the past and the present. And I'm an archaeologist, which in this country is part of anthropology at the university. So I study human culture in the past through material remains, things. How did you first get interested? Did you have an interest in this when you were in high school or anything? Oh, yeah. I was. Uh, I grew up in a family very interested in history. We're from Virginia. And uh, I lived with my grandfather, and he used to tell me stories about his grandfather and what it was like when they were growing up, and just always fascinated me about learning about what happened in the past. And, you know, as a kid, my dad and I would go out and walk in the woods and find things, and we'd wonder, well, you know, it's a fossil. How old is that? Just curiosity about, I don't know, I've always, I guess I've always looked backward more than forward, which is mm-hmm. not always a good thing. One of the favorite phrases you'll hear from, uh, from an historian is, uh, the past is prologue. Well, when you look at human culture and you look at civilizations, the, we find out that there's people that were doing some pretty surprising things long before we ever imagined they would be. When you do archaeology, when you do a dig, you'll uncover some things that really go back a long time. Right. Well, I mean, one thing I've always been interested in is uh, domestication of plants. And, you know, we have domesticated plants everywhere today. We just kind of uh, assume they're around. But at one point, we didn't. So uh, in this country, and I'm a North American archaeologist, I've always been interested in looking at how native plants, that is the local plants, wild plants, came to be cultivated and domesticated. So it's obviously a long, slow process, but by looking at the plant remains that are preserved and looking at changes in the seeds and things like that, and then looking at the age of those things, we can get an idea of how and when certain wild, what we call wild plants today, were domesticated uh, prior to European arrival. Now, one of the things I want to ask you about with your career in anthropology, and that is the fact that you've literally traveled all over the country with your work. Uh, You've been in the southeastern and midwestern United States, the Mississippian settlement, Spanish mission period in the southeastern United States. What did you, first of all, when when I look back at your your education, when when you earn your doctorate at Georgia, uh, you you serve on many... uh, a dissertation committees here at the University of Kentucky. You just had a presentation by, as we talked today on a Wednesday, uh, you had somebody presenting and defending their dissertation. So what was your own dissertation about? My dissertation uh, looked at a period of time about 2,000 years ago. We call it the, the Woodland Period. It's just a name archaeologists have given to that time period. And I was interested in where those people were living. In a partic- I was working in northwest Georgia in Lookout Mountain, Um, I had an area of study, and I was interested to see where 
the sites that were occupied by those people at that time were located. And by looking at stone tools that were left behind, what how the activities varied from, say, the valley bottom to the top of the mountain. We find that you know, some of the larger sites that were occupied more um, year-round, perhaps, or by the streams and rivers. And as we get further away, some of them up on the mountaintops are just occupied by uh, a few people for a short period of time. And, and we can look at the things they left behind to get an idea on what they were doing up there as opposed to down by the village. So it was trying to reconstruct what we call the, the settlement system, uh, settlement organization for this period of time about 2,000 years ago. Now, you got your Ph.D. at Georgia in 1978. What was the next step in your career? Well, after I uh, uh, got my degree, of course, I needed to get a job. <laughs> and I was offered a job at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois, running a, a very large uh, archaeological project that uh, was being run through Southern Illinois University. And it involved the investigation of about 160 acres of land in Southern Illinois that was going to be part of a, a surface mine and uh, had several very large archaeological sites on there. So this project, the project went on for four years. We were in the field about nine months over two summers, and I'm still publishing on that material. So you just it, you never know uh, when you step into something like that how it's going to affect your life, but it's probably the best thing that could have happened to me at the time. Was the idea there to see what was there before it just got right. dug, dug up for mining? Yeah, there, there are various uh, laws and things of that nature that... Uh, require, depending on the conditions and situations, that um, companies, states, whoever's doing the work, have to look at the area they're going to impact and see what's there and see what kind of impact it's going to have on what we call the cultural resources, in this case, archaeological sites. Okay. So you were at Southern Illinois from that time until when? 1984. And then UK? Then here. And what attracted you to the University of Kentucky? <laughs> I needed a job. <laughs> uh, no, I, I grew up in Virginia, which is not too far. It's just, I mean, it touches somewhere over mm -hmm. there in eastern Kentucky. So, you know, the area was similar. I was kind of familiar with it, and it was closer to my home, so it seemed attractive at the time. And as it turned out, it was a very interesting place to come. And here, some 35 years <laughs> later, you still are. But one of the things, too, I wanted to ask you about in your career, because anthropology you, you go back, literally, uh, you said your your dissertation was going back 2,000 years. 2,000 years, years yeah. But it, some of the things go way back. But, you know, to explain to us how the tools work in terms of, I imagine it's much more sophisticated how we can time date things than we could back in the day. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've developed techniques over the years that, that either tell us that something is older or younger relative one to the other, but now we have dating techniques that give us uh, what we call absolute dates, like radiocarbon dating. Most people have heard the term at least. So if we get charcoal or organic material, we can submit that to a laboratory, and hopefully we get a, a radiocarbon date that tells us approximately how old that is. And if we get a whole series of them, then we can you know, order what came first and how old things are. One thing I wanted to ask you about, because we used to have a program called UK News Report, and I can't, I don't think that you were the main focus of that, but you were in on that project, and I'm probably asking you to jog your memory, <laughs> but this was at uh, Shaker Town, Shaker uh, Village at Pleasant Hill, mm -hmm. and there was a dig, was quite interesting. Do you recall what all that was about? Uh, sure, yeah. We ran uh, several field schools. UK did archaeological field schools down there. It was a very great place to work, very interesting archaeology and history. 
I can't remember how long it's been now, but uh, yeah, that was a, a series of, of field schools where we teach students how to do archaeology, basically. And would some of that be when, when, when that was being settled or go back even way before that? Oh, sure. When you do archaeology, uh, you're never quite sure what you're going to encounter. I mean, sometimes we go to uh, investigate a certain period of occupation, but in this part of the country, we could have materials that go back 10 or 12,000 years or more. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just it, many times you don't know everything you're going to find when you before you start doing it. Transition a little bit about the Department of Anthropology within the College of Arts and Sciences. Have you ever served as chair? Yes, I was chair for several years back around 2000, 2002, I think. What are some of the careers that your students go on to? Obviously, teaching and research is one of them. Well, we have uh, uh, students going in all directions, uh, several, a lot in some cases, go to academic positions where they're either faculty members or staff. Or Like when I first started here, I was administrative st- staff. Uh, and we have others who go into uh, state and uh, federal service, you know, governmental jobs, things like that. A lot get hired by private sector businesses that are hiring more and more anthropologists now because... Uh, it's important for, you know, the ideas of anthropology and different cultures and diversity, all that to be kind of mm-hmm. passed on to people. So uh, we have um, subdisciplines of anthropology in our department that are medical anthropology, what we call applied anthropology. That is, how do we apply anthropological principles to kind of everyday issues? Uh, of course, archaeology. Mm-hmm. And I'm forgetting somebody, biological anthropology. Mm-hmm. So a lot of different sort of subfields, subdisciplines within this big umbrella of anthropology. The one thing that caught my eye to invite you, and it's been too long and you should have been over here before, but uh, you recently received a very nice honor, and I know it uh, uh, probably don't like to, to brag on yourself, but you're going to get a chance to brag <laughs> on yourself whether you want to or not. Uh, you received a Lifetime Achievement Award. Tell us about that. Right. I was uh, very fortunate to receive uh, a Lifetime Achievement Award from uh, one of our professional organizations called the Southeastern Archaeological Conference back in November at the meeting. Uh, that organization has got over 1,000 members, so it's one of the larger archaeological professional organizations in the country. And they give that award usually every year to one, or in this case it was two people this year, who have served the organization. I served as president. I was on the executive committee, to various other functions, and I've been active in, in research and service in, in archaeology in general in the, in the southeast, but, you know, the North America in general. So uh, you have to be nominated by, I'm not sure who, <laughs> but students, and, you know, it's a matter of getting letters of support and things like that. So it was very... Uh, very nice thing to receive, and it's a big honor. Mm-hmm. So, now I said this, and I mean it. Uh, you can't, you can't see you on the radio or, or over the uh, digital uh, airwave, so to speak, on the internet. But uh, uh, you've been here for a while, and and uh, you you're of an age. I'm not going to say how old you are, but you're, <laughs> you're of an age that that first of all you don't look your age, but you could have. Uh, uh, rode off into the sunset, but obviously you still get a kick out of what you're doing. I do. Right. I uh, enjoy doing the research still. We're planning on going to our where we've been working on the coast of Georgia now for 14 years in July. And I really enjoy working with the students and teaching and working with our grad students and seeing them progress. And I've been very fortunate to have some really excellent graduate students who have gone on now to get their PhDs and achieving amazing things on their own. 
Well, and I spoke before you were part of one of your students, uh, a woman that was defending her dissertation earlier today in, 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 in this particular day of the week. Uh, but that's got to be something to, to be able to mentor students and to see how much they grow. It's got to be a, a heartwarming and rewarding experience. Oh, it really does. I mean, you know, you go through this whole, well, I have students who are in academia as well as out in the, uh, you know, the other parts of, of the world. Um, but I'm particularly aware of the ones who are in academics now, and I have a couple, one student who's now a full professor, and I know what I went through to get that position, and, you know, so to see my own students get there, it's really fulfilling, and I have several others who are well on their way to that same goal, and I have people who are working for municipal organizations or cities or states or things like that, so. And I'm sure you hear from them or keep in touch with them, yeah? We're still publishing together sometimes. Yeah. Now, that's one thing that I would think, in terms of being a teacher, being a professor, that's got to be one of the real highlights in the fact that when somebody, in fact, you don't even mind if, if they become if they become more accomplished, so to speak, <laughs> than yourself, that's just a great reflection on you. Well, I hope they do more than I do. <laughs> you know, like you say, uh, that's a, you know... When people say, what, am I, what, are my, what do I think my greatest accomplishments are? Well, it's my students. And uh, to see them achieve and uh, do bigger and better things than I've done, uh, that's just a real thrill. Now, what about, uh, if I can, I usually ask some people, but you can go as far as you want or a little. Do you have family? Oh, yeah, you, yeah. Uh, married here in Lexington. Two boys. One lives here. One lives in Virginia. And uh, have a bunch of grandkids. And they're all involved in different activities. One of my uh, granddaughters performed at the Kennedy Center in uh, the Nutcracker back in December. That was quite thrilling. And our boys here in Lexington are all involved in sports and band and all those things. Excellent, excellent. That's great. One thing I want to ask you again. This is I I bounce around, but I, I tell everybody that. But in terms of people that there's there's people out there that sometimes can be a little narrow in their outlook and they might say well what are you going to do we already talked about there's plenty of things you can do with an anthropology degree but also i just want to talk about the the concept of why anthropology is an important aspect of study and 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 cultural science if you will Uh, if if we're riding up in the elevator and you're trying to make the pitch to me hey Here's why anthropology is important to our to our country and to our citizenry. Well, I, you know, today we're dealing with a, a greater and greater global world, a scope, a global in scope, and many people are dealing with people of many different cultures, different backgrounds, and it's important to understand the diversity and appreciating that diversity and learning how to interact with people of all different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So. One of the things that's fascinating, the limited knowledge that I have of anthropology, archaeology, whatnot, but you, you look back at, uh, I don't know how to put this, we, we live in an age now, 2019, we think, wow, we're the most advanced people that's ever been on the face of the earth, while well, we have all this digital technology and so forth, but it's pretty remarkable if you think, and, and I don't know if this falls in your field, but you think of the the Romans, you think of, I just saw some program about the Colosseum not too long ago on television. The Colosseum was a magnificent facility 
the ruins of it are still there. But I mean, people were building, you know, we, we look at our modern stadiums or stadia or arenas. We weren't the first people that, <laughs> this wasn't the first rodeo. No, it, it always amazes me. I think, you know, archaeologists, I tell my students, archaeologists are, are very restricted in what they can do because we work with materials that have not decayed, which is probably a fairly small percentage, and, and we, we deal with material that basically was thrown away. So a lot of what we deal with is old garbage. So um, we have a very incomplete record of the past. And I think for, for most of us, speaking for myself anyway, we tend to maybe underestimate the complexity of these societies in the past. And uh, I was just lecturing to my class yesterday on uh, some of the cave art in France. It's Upper Paleolithic. It's, you know, it's anywhere from 30 to 20 to 18,000 years ago. And, and it's just amazing to, to see it and, the, you know, the uh, degree of detail. And what does that mean? What does that represent? I'm trying to figure out, getting the heads of the people who produced it. And, uh, you know, these societies, uh, while we don't have much material remains, must have been very complex in their rituals and their beliefs and you know, the things maybe that aren't so visible. You mentioned uh, during the conversation, and you're looking forward to this summer being able to go to the coast of Georgia. Let's bring us up to date on, on what's going on there a little bit. Well, I've been working on an island, one of the sea islands in Georgia, called Sapelo Island. And uh, it was occupied for the last 4,500 years. And the period of time we're particularly interested in is the uh, kind of the the time right prior to European contact, in this case the Spanish, and, and the hundred years after it. So the island was occupied by Native Americans. Uh, the group is called the Wali, G-U-A-L-E. Uh, but in the early 1600s, perhaps even the late 1500s, some Spanish missionaries started moving into the area for you know, converting Native people to uh, Christianity, Catholicism. Uh, so we we're excavating a site that was a Wali town but it had a, a Spanish mission church in it and a small, maybe one or two Spanish priests. So we're very interested in seeing how the Spanish and the native people interacted with each other. What kinds of influences did they pick up from each other? You know, whose diet changed the most or that thing. So uh, we've been working there since about 2005. And we're, you know, each year we get a little piece of the jigsaw puzzle and it gets a little bit clearer. So maybe we'll get another piece this year. I, I don't want to be I would be remiss because you know we mentioned your lifetime achievement award uh, from the Southeastern uh, Association, but also here at UK when I look over it you've uh, you've been the College of Arts and Sciences outstanding teacher, uh, you've been a distinguished professor, uh, you've gotten the Teachers Who Made a Difference award, which I think is one of the neatest awards because you just don't know who might right. be nominating you. <laughs> Uh, but it's a nice thing. You have a uh, provost teaching award for tenure fa- tenured faculty, been a finalist for that. But also, uh, one of the things, combined with your teaching, of course, it informs your teaching, is is the research and the and the materials that you published. And it's a, it's a very extensive list. Um, but one of the neat things, I would think, for students that are here at the University of Kentucky, when they get to interact with somebody like yourself, uh, you're not picking up, uh, oh, sure, you learn from your colleagues here at UK and, and across the country, but uh, you can teach about stuff that you've studied yourself. It's not like you're picking up a book from that, that some other professor at some other university's done. Uh, you know a lot of this stuff firsthand. 
Well, right. Some of my students say I'm going off on a tangent when I do that. But I feel it's important to bring in my own experiences. I mean, certainly we use materials that other people have done because it's much more all-encompassing. But I try to incorporate my own research just to make a point. Number one, I, I think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I've done it, like you say. But also, I mean, I talk about working in Georgia and doing this. I've spent the vast majority of my time here at UK working in Kentucky. And uh, even before, when I was at Southern Illinois, it was the Ohio Valley. So from the time I got out of graduate school uh, until relatively recently, my research area has been Kentucky and the adjacent states. So I spent uh, time in southeastern Kentucky working on a site down in Knox County that dates to around 1200 A.D. I've worked on much older sites uh, in different parts of the state or over in the ones I talked about in southern Illinois. Uh, so I've covered the time period from about 10,000 years ago up to 1500 A.D. in Kentucky alone. So, you know, you get all that background. And I think the students, especially our students from Kentucky, are you know, they want to know what happened here. They want to know why this is an interesting place to work. Well, and I think for many of us, and this uh, we'll come to a close here in a second, but I'm just musing, but I, I think about um, – I suppose in a little, when I was a, an elementary school student, you first start learning about the people come over on the Mayflower and so forth, 1620 or thereabouts, and and then you think the Revolutionary War and, and our country uh, was born out of that, and we're some 243 years old, I think, this year as a, as a nation. But, you know, that's not, that is not, by any means, that's, a, that's the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the anthropology and the archaeological history oh, of, yeah, of, yeah. Where, of where we live. Yeah, and you, you look at what we call archaeological cultures, cultures of societies that existed in the past, and you know, they lasted for a thousand years or two thousand years, and certainly they changed. But, uh, you know, we've only been on this continent for, what, 400 years or thereabouts, so uh, we got a long way to go. I, I, I was in Europe a couple of years ago, and I'm looking at these apartment buildings that were built in 1500 or something like that. And, you know, we've got archaeological sites that aren't that old here. Yeah. So it does put it in kind of a perspective. Well, and we think here in America, we think an old building is, oh, my God, that building's 50 years old or 100 <laughs> years old. And then, you know, you realize it's... Yeah, but it's old for here. I yep, mean, you, yep. you got to put everything in its own yep, yep. position. So well, we... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, we have lots of very important, you know, archaeological sites, historical buildings here in the state that uh, aren't that old, but still very important. Well, congratulations. Tell us one more time the official title of your (laughs) Lifetime Achievement Award. I want you to say that one more time. Well, I think it's just the the, um, Southeastern Archaeological Conference Lifetime Achievement Award is the... Well... And, and proud winner just a few months ago at the end of 2018 has been our guest, Dick Jeffries, longtime professor since 1984, 35 years here at the University of Kentucky, professor of anthropology in the Department of Anthropology, part of the College of Arts and Sciences here at the University of Kentucky. It's been a delight to talk with you, and uh, thanks very much for coming in. No, you're very welcome. I'm glad I could do it. All right, and we'll see you next time on the <laughs> Behind the Blue podcast. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this edition of Behind the Blue. For more information about this episode or any other episode, visit us online at uky.edu slash behind the blue. 
You can send questions or comments via email to BehindTheBlue at UKY.edu or tweet your questions using hashtag BehindTheBlue. Behind the Blue is a joint production of University of Kentucky Public Relations and Marketing and UK Healthcare.